so on Thursday evening at Ancestral Heart, we did a uh, fall equinox uh, service ceremony. Uh, and it turns out the actual equinox is today, like 2 a.m. or something this morning. Um, and before that service, I read uh, three short poems by uh, by Dogen, who composed the piece that we just chanted. Um, and I chose them because they kind of spoke to our relationship to seasons and to fall and to transition in general. And since Thursday, these three poems have taken on uh, a deeper, maybe thicker resonance. And I use the word thicker deliberately for reasons which you'll see later in the talk. So I'll, I'll read these. They're short, they're each four lines. And they each have a kind of different mood or perspective, maybe. So the first one. See, seeing flowers in spring, crimson leaves in autumn, and white snow in winter, I regret having appreciated them as objects of my feelings. The second one. Dewdrops on blades of grass, waiting for the morning sunrise, exist only for a moment. Autumn wind in the field, don't hurry. And this last one he wrote the year he died, 1253. I wasn't sure if I could expect to see autumn again. Gratefully, I view tonight's full moon. How is it possible to sleep? I'm going to go back to each one and talk about them and my, uh, my thoughts about them. So the first one, seeing flowers in spring, crimson leaves in autumn, white snow in winter, I regret having appreciated them as objects of my feelings. And these are translated by uh, Shohaku Okumura, who's a teacher in, Soto Zen teacher, lives in Indiana. In this first poem, Dogen's, I think, talking about the tendency of the human mind to uh, make objects out of our experience. So spring is something that uh, I kind of walk through and spring happens to me and I have all these moods that are associated with spring and I like it or it makes me sneeze or I have all these uh, 
reactions to the season. And then same with fall. So there's a kind of separation there. I think also in the Tenzo Kyoko, he talks about having a, you know, emotion come up with spring or something, emotion come up with fall, and how we can uh, kind of reify the season and ourself. And Shohaku Okamura, in his commentary, says he doesn't believe that Dogen completely regrets appreciating them. He wrote a poem, after all. So his expression is kind of evidence that there is a There's an appreciation of spring flowers, crimson leaves, and white snow. In the second poem, and this is the one that kind of uh, got me, that spurred me on to this talk. Dewdrops on blades of grass, waiting for the morning sunrise, exist only for a moment. Autumn wind in the field. Don't hurry. And it's written, don't hurry, exclamation point. So we have this kind of uh, vision of, this kind of beautiful vision of impermanence, of dewdrops that will evaporate in the sunrise or blow away in the autumn wind. And they exist only for a moment. And then this urgent injunction from Dogen, don't hurry. And I was thinking kind of about my own relationship to urgent, calls for urgency. And for me, that's often accompanied with an idea of needing to speed up, to rush, to do more. That it's not possible kind of hold the reality of impermanence and not somehow be anxious about it. So a kind of urgent request to slow down in the midst of this kind of beautiful impermanence of dewdrops on the grass. And then this last one, I wasn't sure if I could expect to see autumn again. Gratefully, I view tonight's full moon. 
How is it possible to sleep? And this is the poem that leads Okamura to think that he can't completely regret appreciating all these objects that the end of his life he's grateful to see the moon and he doesn't want to go to sleep doesn't want to miss it he wants to stay with the, this with the play of his perceptions in this full moon. Full moon is often like a symbol in Dogen, and I, I like to think here it might just be the moon, that it's okay for it just to be the moon. What all of these three poems got me thinking about and reflecting on was my relation, my relationship to time. And maybe specifically because we're on this point of transition from, from summer to fall towards shorter days and longer nights. Most of the time we uh, think of time as being short and long. And in the next, in this talk, I'd like to encourage us to add a dimension of thinness and thickness to time. You know, when we, when, you know, at the monastery, we have this uh, kind of intense schedule starts in the morning at 5.30 and goes to 9.15 at night. It looks like this. And it's just like, here's the time, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's the time, here's what you're supposed to do. And there's sazen, service, cleaning, breakfast, study, work, lunch, work, bathing, service. And when you first see this piece of paper, you might think, well, okay, Zen has this obsession with uh, schedules. And, <laughs> and you wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> because it looks like this is just a series of events that's just cutting up the, our linear experience of a day with various events of various durations. And when we first come into the monastery and are confronted with this, um, it often brings up a lot of resistance. 
because all of a sudden, you know, I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it anymore. The request is that you follow this and that you be on time. But what this piece of paper doesn't, the story that this piece of paper doesn't tell is how time can become thick in the midst of what seems like uh, a pattern of strict uh, linearity. So I'll describe what I mean by thick and thin time, or my experience of time as thin or thick. Um, I'll take just for example, uh, a break. So we have this schedule and there might be, after lunch, there might be a short 10 minutes of unscheduled time. So it's after lunch, but the work period hasn't started. So you have 10 minutes where this piece of paper is, telling, is saying you're free. And so sometimes I uh, inhabit those 10 minutes thinking about, this is really short, I'm not, this is not a very long break. I only have 10 minutes. I would like to do these four things in the next 10 minutes and that's not enough time. And then I have to go to work. Meanwhile, And then sometimes I can have another experience where in that 10 minutes I am maybe more able to be in my body and present for what's happening in that moment. Maybe I'm having a cup of tea before work starts and I'm completely present for the kind of sensuous experience of a cup of tea, the heat, the weight of the cup, the smell of the vanilla roifus, whatever it is. And when I'm able to do that, the, there's a fullness of that moment, which I experience as Thick. I think in the in the moment of experiencing it, I just experience a kind of fullness. And then later on, when I reflect back on it, I'm like, oh, that felt like thick time. As opposed to uh, the time that I experience when I'm being kind of 
pushed along by thought or expectation or regret of future and past, respectively. And that fullness drops away and I'm moving on a very narrow, tight path all of a sudden. What happens in, certainly in a monastic contest, context, is that what, you know, it's ironic, but what this kind of very rigid schedule is encourage, encouraging us to do, um, sometimes encouraging, sometimes uh, strongly encouraging, is to um, is for us to see out the mind of preference that wants our experience of time to be a certain way. And over time we begin to be liberated by the, from the kind of propulsive force of our preferences. which push us here and there on a very narrow channel of thin time. And we start to experience um, the thickness of time, richness. How do we enter into that? Um, how do we enter into that uh, experience of, of the time? One of the main activities that we focus on at Ancestral Heart, and which is available to everybody is kind of the idea of doing uh, one thing at a time, completely, before moving on to the next thing. Is that what you do in the kitchen? Encourage in the kitchen? Encourage it, yeah. You encourage it. <laughs> so for example, like uh, this pen, what would it be to, to put this pen down all the way and then look over it and then do the next thing as opposed to you know, there's like I wasn't I wasn't there for the pen I dropped it and I was halfway in between the pen and picking up the paper And I think there's a, uh, 
I also, I tend to get in a mindset of, uh, for me to be efficient, I need to cut corners like that. I think the idea of like multitasking. But I think Zen would say that there's actually no, it's impossible to multitask. So I, I think when I uh, feel like the promise of this thick time, I'm, there's sometimes I'm like, no, I can't enter into that because I have so much I have to do. I'm going to not be efficient anymore. Um, and then I start moving, rushing, doing that halfway as I move halfway to something else. And what I'm uh, beginning to realize and have more faith in is that uh, that idea of efficiency is very uh, surface and that when I allow myself to uh, experience thick time, in that thickness, there is a lot of uh, capacity, information, and energy that is uh, made available that uh, I don't have access to when I'm moving, when I'm doing one thing but thinking about the next thing on the list. So then this fall we'll be studying another uh, work by Dogen called Genja Koan, which we chanted this morning at the monastery. He gives some clues in this, or uh, about the, the promise of that, of this uh, wholeheartedly doing one thing at a time. So in one place he says, Accordingly, in the practice enlightenment of the Buddha way, meeting one thing is mastering it. Doing one practice is practicing completely. This was actually a letter. This was a letter he wrote to someone. Am I getting that in a minute? And the way he talks about time, you know, firewood becomes ash, and it does not become firewood again. Yet do not suppose that ash is future and firewood past. You should understand that firewood abides in the phenomenal expression 
of firewood. It's almost like if we're with the firewood, but we're only thinking, we're, if we only experience the firewood in its relationship to later being ash, burned up, we're missing something of the fullness of the expression of the firewood. So they say the suchness of the firewood. And we lose something. And he compares this to the seasons. This is like winter and spring. You do not call winter the beginning of spring, nor summer the end of spring. Like sometimes it's just so common sense. Can we be completely with the season? And at the same time, spring passes and then summer happens. And at some point the firewood burns up and there's ash. It doesn't take away from that. And just like um, experiencing the thickness of time and doing one thing wholeheartedly doesn't take away, we were talking, doesn't take away from our capacity to plan and have a to-do list and still, I will do have a list of things I need to do. But what is my relationship to that list? And what is my relationship to planning in the playground of temporal time? How has that changed when I can be with one thing fully and then go on to the next thing? Is there more energy available for each event when I can be with it completely? So I think one, yes, one practice, I think concrete way of uh, entering into this wider field is yeah, like just taking on the practice of doing actions, seeing actions through to their end. So closing a door all the way, closing a drawer all the way. Like, can you close the drawer with the forks and spoons without it going Just be with it the entire way. Picking up a chair, Picking it up, pushing it under the table. This uh, 
opens up thick time and also is a prelude to devotion and care as we have a we enter into a different relationship with the pen when we when we can care for it all the way and we enter into a different relationship when we're talking with somebody and listening listening to them completely without uh, forming our response while they're talking. Can you be them be with them, their expression completely and then go? How does that make the encounter thicker? How does that open possibility of care and understanding that was not there when you're halfway with them and halfway to the next thing? So yeah, I think, and I think slowing down is an ingredient of this. In the Shinshin Ming, another chant that we We do, which we'll chant tomorrow morning. With narrow views and doubts, haste will slow you down. Another clue that giving the lie to our efficiency, haste will slow you down. With narrow, with narrow views. So I think also in Sazen, we get to experience this kind of thinness and thickness of, you know, if, the, if our default orientation is just kind of following our thoughts and being kind of led by them and believing them and identifying with them, we are kind of uh, led along, inevitably, along a very narrow path of our kind of uh, the most recent unfolding of our karma. We go this way, we go that way. Um, and then in Sazen, slowing down, being, slowing down to the point of being still on the cushion. You can be with the breath, with being with posture. And then there's an opportunity for, um, for these thoughts to come up and for us to not do the usual, not do the habitual. And allow that uh, thinking energy which usually in my experience the gap between 
the thought and the emotion and whatever it propels me to do is very quick. There's like no gap. And then in sasana we can let all this energy come up in a wider field. And sometimes the you might have an experience of the thoughts coming more slowly and without the same uh, convincing argument. I think that's all I had to say. Okay, to the closing chant. May our intention equally Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.